0: I think that today's Gospel reading is fascinating. Of course, you know, I guess that's shooting fish in a barrel. They're all fascinating. That said, let us begin, as we always do, prayer, and especially pray, I don't see anything stupid or heretical. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God cast into hell, Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls, amen. Well, all right, that said, let us open, well, you know the one, the big book, on the coffee table, the Bible. Oh, open the book, open the book, there we go before that, I want to launch in just a little bit about Elizabeth of Hungary, whose feast day it is today. She was an amazing woman. And I I have a thing for St. Elizabeth because uh, she is one of the patron saints of the part of Germany that my ancestors come from. Uh, (laughs) Lower Upper Hesha, which really does exist. Uh, (laughs) uh, 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 (laughs) Nieder (laughs) Oberhessen. Nieder Nieder Oberhessen. It's... it's, uh, uh, you know, sort of down closer to the flatland and the hills, so it's lower Hesse, and it's north Hesse, which is up, then never mind, but the capital of that area is Marburg, which is a very famous city. And um, uh, Elizabeth of Hungary, when she was four years old, she was engaged to the uh, uh, um, uh, the duke, uh, the, 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 the heir to the, the, the ducal throne of Hesse, uh, and and uh, so uh, Louis the Landgraf, the Landgraf was uh, he was a, a, a kind of a, a, a well, a Landgraf that means the, the the Duke of the of the state. And uh, uh, so she was moved to uh, central Germany from Hungary when she was only four. And I, I imagine that that, uh, that must have been a little difficult. And so she was thoroughly Germanized. And she was a great saint who had a deep love for the poor. And, and uh, so uh, she was buried in the, uh, uh, in the in a church dedicated to her memory, St. Elizabeth. I don't know if it was St. Elizabeth's time, but she, she was buried there. And, well, eventually they put her relics in a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, medieval um, shrine. It's a reliquary that looks like a big chest with a pointy roof and just a beautiful piece of work, you know, g- gold gold work and gems and all this. And <laughs> in the Reformation, well, they kind of dumped the bones, but they kept the shrine. So, moving along here. Um, uh, let's go to the big book on the coffee table, which we have already opened the... Uh, the uh, uh, Do you want me to open it again? No, we don't need to open it again. We're good, we're good. Once is enough. But the readings are fascinating. Uh, you know, the... the uh, Wisdom, the 13th chapter, the first verse to the ninth. All men were by nature foolish who were in ignorance of God and who from the good things seen did not succeed in knowing him who is. And from studying the works did not discern the artisan. But either fire or wind or the swift air, the circuit of stars, mighty water, the luminaries of heaven, uh, the governors of the world, (laughs) <laughs> that's Fire our, and brimstone coming down from the skies. Well, yes, that stuff. Uh, the governors of the world, they considered gods. In other words, they're worshiping, as St. Paul says, they worship the creation and not the creator. Uh, he says that in the letter to the Romans. And, and you know, this is the spirit of our age. That, that Let me find it. They worship. Uh, this is the spirit of our age that we're all into science and somehow think that that's going to answer all um uh, all the, um, uh, the questions. And now Romans one twenty five um, uh, uh, they changed the truth of God, uh, and, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That's a, almost a quote from, from, uh, this, this uh, book of wisdom that, 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 we're looking at. So I think it's very important to, to kind of remember that. So, well, let's get back to the readings. Where'd I put the readings? There they are. So, um, The uh, uh, this idea of worshiping the creature instead of the creator, uh, um, there's an argument for the existence of God. If you were to uh, come upon a watch, a pocket watch on the uh, uh, on the pavement, pick it up and say, Oh, that's what a coincidence, all these little things, all these atoms and molecules came together to make a pocket watch. Um, you wouldn't say that, you'd say. Hmm, somebody lost this. I wonder if the guy who made it lost it, the watchmaker. That's the watchmaker argument for the existence of, of a, creator, a creator god. And I think it makes a great deal of sense, really. You know, this idea of creation um, implies a creator. And, you know, now understand, I, I, Darwin was one of the great scientists of the 19th century. But he was patently wrong about a very important idea that he had. Uh, he said that all life developed from a simple, single-celled organism. Well, God might have used a single-celled organism as the, as the uh, uh, seed that he planted to, uh, to create. He made all things out of nothing, and who knows the process by which he did it. However, there's no such thing as a simple, single-celled organism. I mean, I've known a number of, um, you know, I've known some astrophysicists who are not particularly religious because looking into the, the immensity of the heavens and realizing at least in small part how absolutely vast the universe is and how incredibly minuscule this planet is and even more minuscule, the beings who tromp about on it, they don't feel very much like human beings are important. Or that if there was a God, well, that doesn't make any sense because why would he make something so small and then find it out? On the other hand, I've known a number of microbiologists who are devout because when they look at at human life in its most basic components, even the most basic components are incredibly complex. there is no such thing as a simple single-celled organism. So if you have a passing knowledge of science you might think that there is no God. But if you have a profound uh, knowledge of science, chances are you're gonna think this is not coincidence this, this didn't just happen but um, yeah. at any rate that's I think what what this section of wisdom is is saying you know it's stupid to worship the, the creation which people did that I, I, I was uh, uh, a young man named Justin called in yesterday and uh, um, we were discussing that idea of, of the religions of the world and there really are really only two categories of religion. There's the belief that there is a, a being, a non-material being outside this creation who made it all out of nothing or that the universe and all it contains somehow made and sustains itself. Um, Those are the two chance choices. And uh, I also mentioned to Justin that, I don't know, Justin, if you're listening, look up St. Justin Martyr. I think you'll be impressed. And the early church fathers are a great treasure. And uh, you mentioned you were searching. And I think if you search in the the early Christian authors, you'll get a lot of benefit out of it. All right, let's get back to the reading, though. Uh, Let's go to the gospel here, because uh, this is Luke 17, the 26th chapter. Most people, when they read this, uh, they really think that this is referring to the end of the world. And it might be in in the long run. But I think it specifically refers to the destruction of Jerusalem. And there is a line in here that um, makes me uh, think that. Let's go. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all similarly as it was in the days of lot. Uh, so it will be on the day. The son of man is revealed. Well, isn't that the end of the world? Well, no. Um, I think that this idea of the son of man being revealed, uh, is about the resurrection. And, um, I, you know, maybe I'm I not, again, maybe I'm reached on this, but, uh, I think that um, when the scripture says that, that day, Jesus had prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. He's doing it here. And that's, you know, people are going to remember. This is within one uh, lifetime of, of the life of Jesus. that the, Jesus was crucified, most people would say 30 A.D., and rose from the dead. And then Jerusalem was destroyed around 70 A.D., and the temple, uh, the temple destroyed. Uh, it wasn't completely destroyed; just mostly destroyed. The temple was absolutely destroyed, uh, and the Romans took a lot of people into. Oh, the, the siege was horrible. It, Josephus talks about it, and he probably talks about it in exaggerated numbers, but still, horrible. It, uh, Jesus said, "When you see this um, happening, uh, uh, don't go down and get what you." need and no one in the field should return to what was left behind just go get out well that's exactly what happened the romans showed up the right you see the romans did not have a great military presence in the holy land they didn't need to uh the the client kings the herod family were 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 you know real tight with the romans uh they numbers of them had actually been raised in rome in the palace of the caesars seriously uh um I think uh, was Herod Agrippa. Uh, a number of the descendants, sons and and grandsons of Herod the Great, were taken to Rome to educate them, to Romanize them, and they actually lived in in the palace on the the, the palace of the Caesars, which in the time of Augustus was not that he tried to. Play down his power, but it was by our standards and by their standards, it was a magnificent place on the Palatine Hill, and and uh, they they were they were educated there. That's where they grew up, uh, and they spoke Latin and they spoke Greek. And I bet their Aramaic and Hebrew weren't that good. I, I don't know, but um, uh, the result of that was there wasn't a great military Roman presence in the Holy Land, just kind of enough to police things. And when there was a, a revolt um, among the Jews against Roman power, uh, there was a problem. <laughs> they had to get troops there, and the troops were there were a lot of troops up in Syria, so it took a while to get the troops down, and it seemed like they were winning. But then the troops came down from Syria, and uh, they they weren't winning. The Roman might really. Uh, steamroller right over them so um, this was a sudden thing and what's what's Jesus is saying here is he prophesied this destruction and that's not going to happen well it did so the son of man was revealed in that sense certainly so this idea of uh, well they they shouldn't go down and get what they need because uh, I tell you, there'll be two people in one bed, one will be taken the other left. Two women grinding a meal together, one will be taken the other left. Many of our our friends, fellow Christians, believe that's about what they call the rapture. Someone called about that uh, the other week. Uh, The word rapture actually doesn't appear in the Bible. The verb to be snatched, to be snatched up, to be taken up, that, that does appear. But the noun doesn't appear. But... I assume this refers to that, that one person is going to just poof, vanish. And that's not what, what's being said, That that they enslaved the people of Judea. They took them captive and sold them in the slave markets in Rome. That was where a Roman general made his money in the sale of slaves. And if he was smart, he shared that with his men, and everybody got a few slaves, and they were worth a lot of money. And so much of the population of Judea was actually taken in slavery to Rome and to Greece. The I, I, Nero tried to build a uh, canal in in Corinth uh, to get from the uh, Aegean Sea to the Adriatic, uh, and failed at it. It was that wasn't done until mo- it wasn't accomplished till modern times, but. I believe a lot of the slaves who worked on that were Jewish. Uh, so uh, the gold of the temple was, was taken to Rome. Uh, when when people, people saw them coming, they ran into Jerusalem and the population, because Jerusalem was a very defensible city. Um, it was surrounded on, on uh, it was actually kind of the old city was kind of a triangle and the new city was kind of a, or the full city at the time of Jesus was kind of a square and there were steep, uh, valleys on either side of just the North that was accessible to, to, uh, invasion, the North side of the city. And it was very defensible and the temple was built like a fortress inside of a fortress. So they just thought they were safe. Well, everybody ran to Jerusalem. There was no food. They ended up. They ended up resorting to cannibalism, believe it or not. So um, this is a big deal. Um, they were taken in slavery, and those who ran into the city they starved to death. So why do the most convincing verse here that convinces me that this is primarily about uh, the siege of Jerusalem is where the body is. There will the vultures gather. The word in the text is not vulture; it's eagle. Where the body is, the the eagles will gather. Well, what's what's the difference? An eagle is not a vulture. Uh, um, uh, what was what was being referred to here? It was the Roman eagles, that every Roman legion had a standard. That that for them to lose, it was just unthinkable that uh, they would they would uh, uh, lose their eagle standard Uh, well (laughs) it's funny they translated vulture but the word in in the text here is aetoi which means eagle it's an eagle well it's a many bird of prey it's no it's not it means an eagle the text should read oh there's an eagle uh, an eagle vulture Oh, fine the text should read, where the corpse is, the eagles will gather. He was talking about Jerusalem and the temple in particular being a corpse relative to to the living temple that he was establishing. I think that that's what this is about, that Jesus is prophesying the, the uh, end of Jerusalem. And, you know, one of the big problems with this is that... Uh, revisionists, people who want a late, a late date for scripture, which means Jesus really didn't say these things. So we really don't have to obey them. Uh, they, they say, well, clearly the gospel of Luke was, was written late because, well, there's no such thing as prophecy. The only reason to date the gospels early or late rather, Uh, like 80, 90 A.D., is is this prophecy, because, of course, prophecy doesn't exist. It most certainly does. Three little kids in Portugal were able to talk about the future things that were coming and things about which they had no right to know. There is prophetic utterance. It happens all the time. Uh, So uh, um, this gospel, the gospel of Luke, which is written in tandem with the book of Acts, had to have been written before 64 A.D., because it talks about Paul and Jesus, but it doesn't talk about Paul's death. He died, give or take 64 AD. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied the end of Jerusalem and the temple, and he did it most specifically saying that it would be surrounded by the eagles. Those eagles were on the top of the standards of the Roman legions. I think that's interesting. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back. we got a lot of letters, and uh, we'll open the phones at 888 914 888-914-9149. Today we'd like to thank Deborah, who's listening in California, for donating her 1986 Volkswagen Jetta. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com/car. That's relevantradio.com/car. You, you, you can tell the world about this. You can
1: tell the nation. About that. Tell me what the master has done, tell me that the comforter has come, and
2: he brought joy, joy, joy
1: to my soul, to my soul,
0: to my soul, to my soul, to my soul, to my soul. Can well, tell you world about this you can you can can tell the nations about that and i I was thinking that half the time i say uh inspire the hearts of the faithful half the time i say inspire the hearts of the nations i don't know why i think of the right word in the prayer of the holy spirit is faithful but i also think of the nations because the nations are the goyim the the non-jews and the holy spirit did inspire the hearts of the of of the gentiles and that was a big part of the meaning of pentecost that uh, I often think of the, the the wind of the Holy Spirit filling the place where they were seated and praying, and the wind. I, I wonder what the disciples thought when they looked at the, at the sails filling with wind as they got on the boat at Caesarea or Antioch and went off to places that they had never been. So, at any rate, that's neither here nor there. Ah, did we do the mail thing, the trumpet? Did we do that yet? Oh well, let's do the trumpet. There. It wouldn't be the same. What? What? Wikipedia, Wikipedia what? has uh, has the hearts of thy faithful. And they also have the Latin. It has the faith hearts faith. of thy faithful. And yes. I suppose that I should stick to that. But the, no, Latin, I'm a the Latin is fidelium. Okay, well, oh, if we're going to get technical suppose, about it, you brought it up. I mean, I was well, just yes, confirming what you were saying. Thank you, thank you. That's the kind of thing I do. Is I like those precise words. Darn it! All right, I'll try to remember to say faithful. All right, this is a question sent in by a listener. Why is the Nicene Creed said at Sunday Mass but not at daily Mass? Uh, is it said during holy days of obligation? Is the Apostles' Creed ever said at Mass? Well, the Nicene Creed wasn't, of course, part of the Mass until after the Council of Nicaea, and even later than that, the final version of the Nicene Creed. And the big problem was was the the defining what we really believed. And so, to create a cohesive faith, it was introduced into the liturgy, a cre- a cohesive, universal faith that could be um, uh, taught with. Uh, with some certainty. So it kind of breaks on theology, the the Nicene Creed. Uh, So when the the whole congregation is together at Sunday Mass, they would say it, but it was never introduced at the Daily Mass because it wasn't part of the early liturgy. Um, And it is said during certain Holy Days of Obligation. uh, And the Apostles' Creed is said sometimes, and there's a preference to say it during the uh, Easter season, uh, but you're not supposed to use it too much. Uh, But the Apostles' Creed can be said I, I at certain times during the Easter season, because it was probably used as a baptismal formula for the Roman church. So three interesting questions. So there you go. All right. right, let, <laughs> let, let's let Oh, we do. We do. Uh this is uh, from uh, Ronnie, who is a Syrian. Um, uh, uh, the, the, uh, 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 very interesting. Uh, he, he is, uh, actually, uh, an Assyrian, and he's talking about a documentary about, about Mar yosip uh, uh, Hna, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I'll try to look that up. I'll try to look that up. And, and Ronnie, God bless you. Of course, we met back in, in Skokie, a lot of Assyrians, and they are to be respected. They really have been, um, faithful to the Lord. Well, all right, let this is from Deb, and she just wanted to mention that, uh, uh, when I was talking about indulgences, that, that you know, I, I I I have no idea how indulgences work from the, the the perspective of the Lord. I I understand them from our perspective. Uh, and the word indulgence, think of what it means, and uh, to be indulgent. That that indulgences took the place of long and difficult uh, public penances. Uh, when the church really began to grow, you couldn't have a mob of people standing outside the church doors for two years and you know uh, pilgrimages were part of indulgence if somebody committed murder in the town and uh, confessed his sin, he might receive as a penance an indulge or as a, as a penance he might receive a pilgrimage to a distant place because chances are he'd die on the way uh, and it would get him out of town for a while so tempers could cool. Uh, because the cycle of revenge, well, you killed my relative, I'll kill your relative. Well, you killed my relative, I'll kill your relative, to break the cycle of revenge. Uh, So um, indulgences uh, were leaning on the the generosity of God uh, through the communion of saints, and I think they're very real. However... um, uh, Deb mentions, when praying or performing good deeds, I intend to gain the indulgence, but not to add it up. I leave it up to God to calculate them. And I think that that's a, a good attitude. Let God do what God does in an indulgence instead of uh, thinking we can hold him to a rule, at least the way we understand it. Well, this is uh, Sarah from Minnesota, and she there's a proverb that she's uh, interested in. What is meant by mercy without justice is the mother of dissolution? <laughs> When you're dissolute, it means you are lawless, you are debauched, you are uh, uh, without discipline. She asks specifically, dissolution of what? Dissolution of the self, of, of the person. And mercy without justice is the mother of dissolution. In other words, if we just say to our kids, oh, that's all right, that's mercy, Without justice, well, I mercy with justice for a parent would be, you know, I love you very much. Now let's discuss your punishment. <laughs> you know that that the purpose of punishment is not to make someone suffer, but to make someone learn. So mercy without justice, and justice in, in, in really in our sense of justice, uh, the Greco-Roman sense of justice. Um, it has to do with balance scales you know uh justice the statue of justice with the blindfold and the scales that's the idea that 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 there's a balance a proper relationship to god and to humanity that that's kind of the definition of of justice uh one of the definitions now the hebrew concept of justice as i all point out really i think reflects the nature of god because mercy is part of justice Uh, Justice does not exclude mercy. We think that you can be just and not merciful, whereas I don't think in Jewish thought they would say that that's possible. There's a balance, though, in this proverb. Mercy without justice. You want to have both mercy and justice. You don't want punishment to be extreme. You don't want punishment to hurt someone, but to elevate them and to teach them. Because when you don't have that justice, a person thinks, I can get away with anything. You meet children who their parents never discipline them. Well, I don't want my child. Ah, here's a story. I remember this story. It's a good story. There was a, a couple probably from my era who, uh, and I think this is a true story, that uh, they had a uh, little child, a little girl uh, whom they dearly loved, and they they never said the word no to her. Never. I mean, they did not want her to hear the word no, lest it lest it, uh, cramp her style, lest it inhibit her culture or her creativity as she grew. And there was a terrible storm and some power lines came down and she and her dad are on the porch and she saw these nice uh, wires sparking and that looked like sparklers at the fourth of july and she ran to get the sparklers and her father couldn't catch up to her in his shouting no she'd never heard the word she grabbed the wires and was electrocuted i i don't know if that's a true story it's told without story so yeah mercy without justice you don't teach your children to understand the word no and if you refuse to understand the word no um, well (laughs) if you'll dissolve there you go all right let's see how are we doing time wise we're doing fine okay um this is a tough question this is a really tough question for me um this is from anita and she says uh that her husband and she are retired and um you know uh, they work all day long, even though they're retired. That's a funny thing about retirement. You work harder and make less. Then we eat dinner, we sit down, uh, we work till the 7 p.m. rosary, and then we eat dinner and sit down and watch movies or stream television shows and detective stories. And of late, it seems there's more and more nudity and indecent things, uh, on, on uh, especially in, in these mysteries. I don't want to go into it too much. I'm starting to feel that watching these shows may present these issues as sinful on our part. Do you think my guilty conscience is well-deserved? Well, you know, that's a very individual question in a way, um, but I would err on the, the side of caution. What I would urge you to do, if you can, is to record a show and fast-forward through the scenes that you think are inappropriate, or at least to turn your head from the television if you think you're seeing something that's inappropriate. Um Better yet, you know, I, I, I'm not caught up on television. I don't actually watch television television. I, when I watch something, it's, it's uh, recorded or uh, uh, on the computer. Um, but if you're not feeling comfortable about it, I would say, yeah, maybe you shouldn't watch it, at least those parts that make you uncomfortable. Um, uh, you know, when you, when you wonder if something is decent, you know, I've seen television commercials and football games that are utterly indecent. Uh, you know, the, the halftime shows if it's better to err on the side of caution, especially if there are young people there. So uh, that would be my thought on it. All right. Let's see here. All right. This is from Cheryl. Today's reading makes it sound like the wisdom is the Holy Spirit. Are they one of the same? No, they're not. Uh, if not, who, what is wisdom? Wisdom is, in in the wisdom books, it seems that wisdom is, is personified, but that's just a poetic device. Um, uh, wisdom and the Holy Spirit are not the same thing, though Though God is wise and has wisdom. The Holy Spirit is wise and the author of, of wisdom. The Holy Spirit is not wisdom. The Holy Spirit, if we can say what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit, again, pneuma, it means breath, is the breath of God. And what is the breath of God? The breath of God is love. So if we have to say the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is love. And the Holy Spirit has wisdom, but sophia is a feminine word. And in the poetry of the Greek language, uh, that idea is is um, kind of amplified to make it sound like wisdom is an actual person. But it's, it's a poetic device. Wisdom is not... A person, the Holy Spirit is. So, let's see here. All right. You'll find all sorts of uh, feminists who will say that well, Jesus was Sophia before he was incarnate. In other words, he was feminine before he was incarnate. That's nuts, just nuts. Um. You know, that, that in God there is not gender, but in us there is. And so we perceive God in as male and female because persons have gender. And the reason we perceive God as male is because God chooses and adopts us, which fatherhood in the ancient world was always adoptive and still is. Uh, you know, that, that a person can engender a child and then choose not to parent it. That Mothers don't do that. Fathers do. But the mystery of the feminine in God is in the Church. The Church, which will be brought into that relationship which is God at the end of times, um, the Church is in fact in 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 uh, uh, the poetic literature of of traditional spirituality. The Church is a woman, and that the soul of every human being at prayer is, in a certain sense, the bride of Christ. So. All right, uh, Genesis 22, God tests Abraham's faith by commanding him to sacrifice Isaac. Did Abraham have reason to believe that sacrificing Isaac would have been an appropriate thing to do, considering Isaac was presumably a sinner and therefore not without blemish? Um, it was very common. The sacrifice of children was very common. Now, Isaac was not a child uh, when he was, he, uh, uh, Went up the mountain with his father Abraham. The rabbis say he was 33, and he's a type of a type, in other words, uh, uh, a model of Christ. Uh, uh, that Jesus was placed on the wood of the cross, just as Isaac was placed on the wood of the altar at the age of 33, and. Uh, uh, that's according to the rabbinical uh, rabbinical thought. You total up all the years. Certainly, Isaac in the story was old enough to carry enough wood up a hill to burn a human body. He wasn't a child, and if he hadn't acquiesced to the sacrifice, he certainly could have escaped. You know, Abraham was a hundred, and Isaac was young. He could have pushed Abram away and said, get away, crazy old man, I'm telling mother. And it's interesting, the rabbis also say that it seems because Sarah died shortly after this incident in Scripture that she died of a broken heart, thinking that this might have happened, that Abram would have done this. It is one of the hardest verses in Scripture to understand, and is only understandable in terms of uh, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews which explains that if Isaac had been sacrificed by Abraham, Abraham knew that God would restore him through the resurrection. And in that, the author of the letter to the Hebrews uh, points out that resurrection is in the Torah. The Torah doesn't talk about the first five books of the Bible. Don't talk about the resurrection. Uh, But if father Abraham believed in resurrection, then certainly it was in the Torah because Abraham's in the Torah. So, uh, that idea of, of, of Abraham doing this thing is only made palatable by the letter of the Hebrews, and um, I always point out that the, the, the slaughter, or the the, bind, the the Jews call it the binding of Isaac, we call it the sacrifice of Abraham. No, it was Isaac who was going to be sacrificed. That that uh, the binding of Isaac was not postponed or was not canceled. It was postponed. It's as if God stayed the hand of Abram said, wait, let us do this together because Jesus is the son of Abraham through the princess of the house of David, our blessed mother, Mary, and he's son of God. Jesus is son of God and son of Abraham. So let us do this together. And Jesus is the lamb of God. Remember that Isaac said, father, we have fire and wood. Where is the lamb of sacrifice? And Abraham said, don't worry, son, God will provide the lamb. And they got to the top of the hill and Isaac understood what was going on. And he said, well, if that's what God wants, father, okay. And uh, 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 when the angels stayed the hand of Abraham, they saw a ram caught in the bushes. And a ram is not a lamb, two different words. And When John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, he said, look, God's going to finish the sacrifice. So just some thoughts on that. Uh, that it had nothing to do with Isaac's moral condition. Uh, the idea of life after death uh, was very foggy in the ancient world until Christ came and returned from the dead. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with the word of the day. And the phones are, of course, open at 888 914 That's 888 We will be right back. Father Simon says... Please... Don't get upset with me. It's been a long day. On Relevant Radio. Could be worse. How? Could be raining. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states.
2: They paradise, put up a parking lot a and a hot spot. Ah, uh,
0: yes, this is music from my hippie youth. All right, let's go to the word of the day. Very interesting that uh, the Book of Wisdom talks about the luminaries of heaven, the stars, the bodies of, of you know, the heaven, and the governors of the world they considered gods. What does it mean that the stars are the governors of the world? Well, governor is a Latin word uh, that that, um, uh, that means steersman. But the word is, of course, the Book of Wisdom is written in Greek, and so the Greek word is interesting. It's pritanis, which is um, uh, a, 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 an Athenian governmental position. Uh, um, remember, uh, gubernare in Latin has to do with the steering of a ship. But what, what a Pritani was in, in, uh, in the Greek political world was someone who essentially uh, uh, one of his big jobs was to summon the ruling council of Athens uh, and uh, to chair it. And that's exactly what the stars did. They, they told you when to plant, and uh, they, they were a way of telling the seasons. So in that sense... Even though they were not gods and not living beings, uh, the Greeks thought they were gods, but they weren't. Uh, the Jews were smart enough to say, these are not gods. These are just natural phenomena. But they still they still governed human life by, by uh, creating calendar uh, indications. This is when things should be done. So I thought that was interesting. So, well, let's go to phones. Ahoy! Angelica from Chicago. What can I do for Hi. you? Hi,
2: thank you for taking my call. This is my first time I've been I just recently started hearing Revelin Radio and oh. it's changed my life completely. well, thank
0: you. I'm really and, glad.
2: Yes, and um my question is um I I I'm married with my husband by city hall, but we're not yeah. married above God's eyes. and that's mm-hmm. something I yeah. would love to do because we're convulsing, sure. and mm-hmm. I just don't know what else to do for my husband um, to see that we're in the wrong, and for him um, to to be more into our faith. Well, you know, I think baptized that baptized, and I'm sorry, we yeah, baptized, well, communion, go confirmation, but we're just not married by God.
0: Well, what I, it's going to take a while. I mean, it took a while for you to get to this position. And the best way to witness to someone, especially someone to whom you are close, is by your example. If he finds that you are a much nicer person as a, as a believing Christian um, who's going to Mass on Sunday and who's participating in the life of the church, uh, that will intrigue him. I think that nagging him to do this will not be helpful. But uh, I think that, that by your example, uh, by the way you live your life, I think it may intrigue him. This is going to take a while. It took you a while to get to this position. So, you know, you do your best. And I would certainly um, be in a relationship with your pastor and the parish that you're going to. But, um, you know, I, I often say that when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, he didn't tell us we were going to be the worm. you got to be the tastiest worm on the hook. And if you... Demonstrate to your husband the beauty of of living a life of faith. You know, if you laugh more, if you are kinder, if you are easier to live with, that will that will go a long way to bringing him to the faith. So it's it's a tall order. And at some point, you can say to him, you know, don't say it constantly, but you know, after you've lived a, a life that 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 brings him joy and that brings you joy, uh, say, you know. I would really like to get married in church and it doesn't take anything. It doesn't, we don't have to have a big party. Just all you need is two witnesses and a priest and, uh, uh, you know, and to do the, the, the little paperwork beforehand. It's not real complicated, but don't, don't spring that on him too much. I hope that helps a little Angelica and I will certainly be praying for you. All right. God bless you.
2: Thank you so much. And yes, I will continue on with my faith, but it was great hearing this. Thank you.
0: Well, Yes, that be the best little worm on the hook you can be. Let's go to Gloria, who's calling in from Queens, New York. Gloria, what can I do for you?
1: Thank you, Father Simon. Okay, yes. um, Father, um, a boy, uh, twelve years, twelve year old, came from a school saying that God is not male nor female. Therefore, it's okay to change your gender or to be whatever you want how would I respond to that boy
0: <laughs> by quoting Jesus to him well Jesus said in the beginning he made them male and female you know that, 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 that that's not uh, that's not what we believe uh, that uh, let me find the verse for you he made us male and female that's in the book of uh, Genesis uh, and it's also in the gospel. Jesus repeats it. Okay. Let me find this. That is in, um, Genesis one And then it's repeated in the new Testament in Matthew 19 four. So twice in the Bible, it says, no, God made the male and female. And if God made you something, well, that's who you are. It's, it's not okay to do that, especially not okay uh, to have any operation to do that because that's what we call mutilation, and that is a serious sin. So whoever said that to him uh, it, it, was it in a Catholic school? no, a
1: public
0: school oh well <laughs> yeah. tell them they don't know much about our faith. tell them tell them they don't know much about our faith that no, it's not okay that God made us male and female. so now, that's now how I would to... answer it. yes no no um
1: what i said that was probably very wrong because now i'm, I'm you know i heard you saying that and i, I got so upset when he said that um,
0: sure.
1: when he said that guy was not male not female and i said but jesus is male and he's the yeah. he says he he he's like the father so that means that the father is a male so that was wrong right father to say that
0: no that's absolutely correct jesus jesus chose to call god father And he identified himself as when you've seen the father, you've seen me, that we only perceive people as having as, as persons and persons have gender. And, and, uh, uh, as I said earlier, the mystery of the feminine God is in the church and, and heaven is the marriage of, of Christ to his bride, the church. And when you start fooling around with the gender roles of God, then, you know, Technically speaking, God is not male or female, but he, we perceive him and he presents himself as male and female. That doesn't mean we can change our gender. God doesn't change his gender. So, yeah, so I would just quote the scriptures to him that Jesus says pretty, pretty clearly that God made us this way. So I hope that helps a little bit.
1: Yes, very much. Thank you. Thank you, All right. no, no, <laughs> no, no. Father. And, Simon, okay. yeah, All right. God Bye-bye. bless. I was going to say senior,
0: Simon. No, no, not a Monsignor. Fathers, fathers, what I am. And I'm sorry. It'll work. All right. God bless. Thank you. Not a problem. Let's go to Mary. Uh, Mary Hi, from Simon. Chicago. Hi. How are you?
1: Hi, Father Simon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. Um, a friend asked me a question, and I thought you're the guy to ask. Is it oh, part dear. of Catholic teaching that the Antichrist will come into the world and be mistaken as a peacekeeper?
0: Uh, the Antichrist. Well, let's see here. It's kind of difficult because we don't talk much about the Antichrist. Maybe we should. You know, um, uh, you know, we don't really know much about the Antichrist. Um, uh there are a lot of antichrists because they're against Jesus the Messiah of course Christ means Messiah but the 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 John the second chapter the 18th 19th verses really do seem to talk about an individual antichrist um so uh, we believe that there'll be an antichrist but we really don't know much about him um we don't necessarily believe he will be a peacemaker but um uh, he, we know that he'll be a liar, so I think that, that that's clear from the passages in Scripture. That uh, in John, uh, the second chapter, first letter of John, the second chapter, twenty-second verse: "Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Uh, what he's, what we do know is that that the antichrist will deny the existence of the Trinity. Uh, that that um, uh, that." that we believe in the Trinity because we believe God is love, God is relationship and the antichrist won't believe that. Um, so that's about all we know about him. Um, you know, and, uh, also that, that he won't confess that Christ came in the flesh and, uh, uh, that he won't believe that Jesus is God. So there you go. That's about all we know about it. Um, uh, we don't know that he's going to be a man of peace or a man. He's the man of lawlessness. We, it seems to be the man of lawlessness in Revelation, the 13th verse, but uh, peacemaker. I, I don't know of any Catholic teaching that he's the peacemaker. I hope that helps a little.
1: Thank you. Yes.
0: There you go. That's about, that's about all. And you know, I think when we think about these things, we always have to remember that he who is in us is more powerful than he who is in the world. So I always remind myself of that. All right. Let us now go to uh, Leanna from uh, Minnesota. Leanna, what what can I do Hello, for you? Brother
1: Simon. Finally, I got to talk to you. I there you to go. I so call you so many times, but I was always, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Refrain because there were so many people ahead of me. Anyway, I yeah. have a very important question for my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not understand today's uh, gospel, St. Luke's, uh, when he said that, actually, when Jesus said that there are so many, and there were two left in the field and one yeah. will be left behind. There were two yeah. sleeping and one will be left behind and so on.
0: Yes. Uh, I, I really do believe. Is this Go on. Theory? Well,. Uh, I don't Do think so. The,
1: no, in the air to no,
0: no, 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 that, that, that's different. That's in Thessalonians. We're combining Thessalonians with Luke and it doesn't work. Uh, but what really happened, and I, as I mentioned, uh, when we had our Bible study earlier in the show, that, that what, what Jesus is talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem. And that happened that, that the population of Jerusalem and much of Judea was, was killed or taken as slaves uh, and sold on the market in Rome or or used by the Roman government for construction projects. So one was taken and one was left behind quite literally. I think that's what it's referring to. Um, I think Dr. Scott Hahn points out very brilliantly that, that those chapters that so many people think refer to the end of time actually refer to the end of Jerusalem. So. That's how I read it, and um, I, I think that's a more reasonable interpretation. It may refer also to the end of times, but Jesus said, you know, that don't worry about it. Uh, no man knows the day nor the hour. Just be ready, and um, he will come to judge the living and the dead. You know, we we emphasize the parousia, which means Jesus comes back, uh, not the us going to him. So I think that's the difference. I hope that helps a little, Leanna. God bless, and thank you for listening. All right, let us go to Chris. Real quickly, Chris, what can I do for you? Thank
1: you, Father uh, Simon. Um, I wanted to say how much you have changed my life and how much oh. I walk with Jesus. You just are amazing. You're, I listen to you every day, and well, I will I'm keep honored. you in my prayers. Well, you, you do a lot for people, and well. it's such a gift, <laughs> and I try to be a disciple for Jesus myself. You know, one more second. Um, if you could sure. pray for my myself and my two friends, they both name starts with G.
0: G as in okay, G. and and for Snoopy. I will pray for you and 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 your pet. God bless you, and I'm honored that you listen. And just remember, take it with a grain of salt, as I always say, because you know I'm often wrong. But Drew is coming up, and he will pray with you, and you're never wrong praying.